Hello everyone. This is a brand new episode today again here and I appreciate every one of you listening to this episode. We are going to be talking about a child today, an interview of a parent whose child had issues that we didn't necessarily go get a medical diagnosis of, but had every manifestation of ADHD and food allergies and how we were able to help manage, heal these aspects of it. So that's what we're going to talk about today. So tune in and you're going to actually really be unpacking a lot of things about what are all the different things. If you have a child who has ADHD or food allergies, this is an episode for you. And if you have a friend who has a child who has that, or even if you're an adult who has ADHD or ADD, which is actually quite common, many people don't really think much of it, but it can really be hard on someone when we cannot really focus, when we cannot actually keep ourselves from doing some some things that we do. And there are so many different types of ADHD as well. So if you're someone that's completely new to this and you are actually trying to understand everything about this, one of the other things that I'm going to actually also point you to is Dr. Daniel Amen. His book, there is a book about the brain, I think healthy brain, healthy life, if I'm not wrong. And don't quote me on that though. But it's something similar to that. But Dr. Daniel Amen is the, he's a psychiatrist and he wrote a book about how there are so many different types of brains and even so many different types of ADHD. And he even wrote a book about ADHD. So if you're new to this and if you're really not sure as to how to navigate this path, I would really point you to that book because it's extremely powerful, extremely helpful. And he's a psychiatrist who does not actually you know, jump into prescribing drugs, but really tries to understand why somebody has these kinds of issues and how to address them. And so... With no further ado, I'm going to introduce our guest today, who I'm very, very happy to welcome. I've known her for quite a bit of time, and uh, the transformation that she and her family has gone through in all the years that I've known her is just amazing. And it shows to me what one mother can do. Once we actually realize that, okay, my child is having something and I'm going to change this, I'm not going to just take a diagnosis. I'm not going to just take a medication, put my child on a medication, but I'm going to actually heal my child. That mother is such a powerful, amazing being. And that mother can change not only her child's life, but her life and the entire family's life and probably many other families' life, which she has been instrumental in doing. I know that she has actually shared her wisdom and her knowledge with so many of her friends and family and has helped so many people because of the things that she has learned through this process. And I love, love, love how when we actually go through these things, when we understand that our body is capable of healing itself, when we do the things right by it, there's a paradigm shift that takes place. And through that paradigm shift, we actually become a completely different person than when we were before. And we also become a lot of times fearless. We actually become empowered. We become strong. We hunker down and take care of things ourselves. And we just are a beast at it, you know, a warrior, a Viking at it. And that is what I see in her. And I get inspired by people like Tiffany. 
So I am extremely happy to welcome you to the podcast. Thank you, Tiffany, for coming in. Thank you. That was the nicest welcome. Thank you. Of course. I mean, it's all true. I often say that, right? You know, whenever we actually see people and we meet people and we have gotten to know them for a period of time, we just realize how beautiful people are. And you are one of those people that are extremely beautiful and you just shine such a bright light onto the people in your life. And I appreciate you. So do you want to share um, with our listeners something about your background, Tiffany, and uh, also a little bit about before you had your son and your children, probably even if this was actually something that you would do all the time, like, is this where you would go to like holistic medicine is the way you would treat yourself or your family treated you, or is this all brand new to you? How did you come into this and all of those things? It'll be extremely helpful. Okay. Um, I was, uh, I was born and raised in San Diego. I had a, a single mother and while we had a terribly unhealthy diet uh-huh. uh, growing up, we had lots of Jack in the box and fast food. On the other hand, we were fortunately so poor that we did not have a lot of medical care. So when we had any sort of situations at home, there was always alternate ways to deal with it. Uh So if you had a stomach ache or a headache, there was never aspirin because that costs money. Uh (laughs) And so we had a lot of different things. I I remember one time I cut myself open and I needed stitches, Mm -hmm. but we didn't have medical insurance. And I learned about the egg membrane, like connecting stuff together. And it's funny now, like fast forward so many years, my daughter split her eye open and I took her to quick care to get a stitch. And he says, I could do a stitch, but it might cause her, you know, so much pain. It's not worth it. Mm -hmm. And I went home and I put the egg membrane on it and it had, you know, healed up. And now there's a small little scar, but it's probably less of a scar than had I gotten a stitch. So it's interesting. (laughs) And another thing that you can do for her now so that you can actually heal that scar is take aloe vera gel and vitamin E oil, like the real vitamin E oil, not the one that you just buy as vitamin E oil, but only like the capsule, buy the capsule itself and open up the capsule and mix it together and apply it. And the scar will actually start fading away. So that's something that, you know, you can do or for anybody, you know, with scars, that's amazing. And when I actually, I met with an accident, a motorbike accident when I was uh, in my residency, right after my engagement. So I was going to get married in six months and I had this big, you know, motorbike accident. I was riding the motorbike and I was actually pretty much almost hit by a truck. So I was trying to avoid the truck and I actually fell off the road onto the side of the road where it was like a big dip. And I fell into it and I hit a rock and there was this big scar on the left side of my eye, which was actually almost like, you know, it almost looked like I got a black eye from fighting in a bar or something, you know, and, and I, you know, hit my head and I kind of fainted and they took me to the hospital and I woke up eventually. I was like, I didn't even know that I went to the hospital, but then what came to rescue was homeopathy. Arnica and Hypericum and Staphysagria and all of those things internally helped me heal faster from inside. And I didn't end up developing concussion and maybe even things like ADHD or maybe, you know, anger because post-concussion syndrome is real. Like so many people actually have concussion and then they develop all kinds of things and they don't realize how important that is to preserve your head and protect your brain. And we don't really think about that. And then one thing that I actually had to do was obviously, you know, I cannot really 
like the person who was, uh, you know, in a brawl the night before the wedding, you know, with my black eye. So I wanted to take care of it. And what really helped me at that time was the vitamin E and uh, aloe vera. And the scar was almost negligible by that point in time that nobody could even actually see it. And now you can't even know it anymore. And I'm looking at you and I see nothing. I would never get it. Yeah, that's that's (laughs) how amazing it is. And it was amazing within a few months. And that's what was so and actually, you know, kept with that for all the scars since, and it's been amazing always. So that's a little tip right there. I mean, the great thing about, I shouldn't say the great thing, there is some good things about being poor, right? Okay. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't really like the fact that, you know, we don't really get medical care. That's not really nice. But at the same time, what does medical care has become in many ways? Is it actually about, oh my God, you know, anything happens, then we actually have to go take a medication? Or is it actually about getting to learn how to take care of ourselves? So if that's what the medical system is, I want everybody to actually have that kind of medical care available, no matter what their financial status is. But one of the things that even when I was growing up in India, this was actually how it was, that we didn't really have a whole lot of you know, money. I mean, we weren't poor, but at the same time, we weren't rich either. So one of the things that people would do, everybody knew how to take care of a cold, how to take care of a fever, how to take care of an ear infection, strep throat. Everybody knew that. Nobody needed to go to the doctor for those kinds of things. Stomachache. Everybody knew what to do naturally at home. And only when those things failed, people will go to the doctor. But now the opposite is true. People go to the doctor for every little thing first before they actually do anything natural. So it's just interesting in that way. And so we kind of want to change that because I think there was so much more power when we were able to take care of things ourselves first. And only if we couldn't and go to the doctor, then we actually, you know, are doing our part in this, like, you know, raising a garden, if you will, you know, growing a garden, if you will. But if we don't do that, and we're always seeking something outside, which means that we have actually lost everything that we needed to know we need to have. And that's also the reason why we do this podcast, because this podcast is to help educate people that you can take control of your health in your own hands. And you don't always have to run to the doctor immediately. There are so many tools that we are offering to you free of cost through these podcasts, as well as our free resources. Go there and you know try to you know use all of these resources before you have to run to the doctor. All right, thank you uh, for that. So and then no, I, go ahead. I was just going to say I I think you're right. Like everybody always wants to do the best thing, but we don't know this knowledge. Yes. And sometimes it usually takes something happening in our lives to get to, you know, learn all the things we need to take care of ourselves and take care of our kids through your practice has been, you know, mind opening, like mind blowing for all of the things that I've learned. And now I feel like I'm confident in taking care of myself and my family where we really don't, haven't, knock on wood, haven't had a need to go see a a doctor for very often over the last nine years. And I appreciate that. And so I want to talk about that, you know, before we go on to what he had and all of those things is, you know, how do you actually take care of? So from that to, you know, being poor, and then obviously you didn't stay poor, right? So once you actually started having better financial status, did you actually start going to the doctor more and taking care of things that way? And then you shifted or were you always naturally oriented? No, I always naturally didn't care for myself. I worked 
very hard and I didn't take any time for me, but I think that the turning point was having kids, you know, as you're like preparing yourself to have a kid, I'm like, okay, I want to do everything right. And so you're reading all of these books, you're doing all of these things and you just know that you want to take care every generation. You want to be better than right. the last. I knew that I wanted to take care of my kids better and I wanted to feed them the right foods and make the best decisions when it came to, to vaccines. And I've never been one to, I question everything. Mm-hmm. And so when people tell me we all do this, my first thing is like, why? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and if when people say, well, you know, we're going to go do this because this is what everybody's does and this is why it has to be done. I always ask why? Like, mm-hmm. if it makes sense to me, I'll do it. But otherwise, I feel like I question everything, especially when it came to my children and their bodies and myself as well. But I feel like I didn't have a big turn until after my children. I was always preparing to have my children, I suppose. And I think that's actually a fantastic way of living, honestly speaking, because science itself, what it means is to question everything. You know, science is not about, oh, just accept what I say, you know, from a scientist. Science is question everything, have an hypothesis, have an experiment, have a conclusion, and then see if your hypothesis is even true. You know, you have to actually test everything out, right? So it's important to question everything. And I think that's a very healthy way of living rather than just blindly accepting everything. Once your son was born, what actually happened to him? How was his health? And what was uh, what were the challenges you had with him? I think from at a very like early age, it's kind of hard because you have your first child and you're like, is this normal? Is this not normal? Do all kids go through this? I think that I saw a lot of signs that some things weren't right. Like as a baby, he had a lot of stomach pain. Uh And I remember like us kind of joking as he was like laid on his stomach and his legs and his, his back was arched so high as he's screaming. And it was obviously his stomach is in pain. And I'm like, there's something wrong with this child. And I don't know what it is. And it was from a very early age that that kind of started. And then as time went on, I don't know what initially led us to learning that he had some, some food sensitivities or food allergies. Mm -hmm. I do know that it took me many years to find a pediatrician that I like. I just never found anybody. I felt like I I wanted a pediatrician to help kind of guide me through everything instead of tell me what I have to do. Mm -hmm. And uh, somehow I ended up at a homeopathic doctor's office in Las Vegas. And he was a wonderful man. And we walked in and he looked at my son and he said, your son has allergies. He says, you see this, you see this, this is wrong. And then he began to muscle test me with him on my lap. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, this is crazy, but I'm going to go with it. Like, I, I've always been one of those people that I, although I do question everything, I do believe that there's many ways for things to be done that aren't common. Yes. And when he had done that, I'm like, I had full faith that what he was doing, there was truth to it, even though I had never seen it or experienced it before. And right away, he said, right? He was a regular MD who became a homeopath. Yeah, it's fascinating. So he was, he became an MD, I think in like the seventies. And he had a daughter that suffered food allergies. And he couldn't find anybody to treat his daughter without medication, Mm -hmm. or he wanted his daughter to get back on these foods. And he ended up traveling from Las Vegas to LA to get her therapy. And that's when he began to get his, then he went into like homeopathy. And now that's what his practice primarily is. And so he treats both now. 
That's wonderful. And then, so once he did all of that, what happened after that? So then I asked him, who do you know that's a great pediatrician? Mm -hmm. And he had sent me to a doctor. This man was 92 years old when we started seeing him. And it was for the first time I asked this man questions and he gave me real answers, like answers that were scientific for answers that I believed in and things that, you know, he told me right off the bat, he said, your son does have food allergies. He said, you need to become educated on it. And I said, okay. And he says, there's this book and it's called brain allergies. Mm -hmm. And he says, it's very old. He said, but I want you to read it. Mm -hmm. And I went home and I read this book and it was published in the 1980s. And when I looked at the copyright, I was like, this has to be a joke. There has to be more relevant information. That's something from 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. And I read it and it was mind blowing because it was talking about the relation between food allergies and how it affects your brain and your body. And there was studies done. And then I went to search for a book with that was more current Mm -hmm. with the same studies And there's nothing that's accessible to the same level that this book was. And then I understood this is why he recommended it. Mm -hmm. But anyhow, at that time, he told me, he said, I'm going to tell you, he said, "Um, I specialize in ADHD. Mm -hmm. And he said, your son is too young to be formally diagnosed. He says, but I'm going to tell you right now, he does have ADHD. If you get him tested when he's old enough, Mm -hmm. it'll come out. And he said, but my recommendation to you is don't do that. Mm -hmm. He said, I want you to learn about these allergies and other things that you could do. That was kind of the path we we took. And then at some point, shortly thereafter, maybe not that short, maybe like a year or two later, I was introduced to you and you did a physical exam. We did the same uh, kind of muscle testing and that kind of started the course to healing. And my pediatrician was so happy that I found you. And he told me, he said, Tiffany, he says, this is going to be a long road. And you're not going to have immediate results, but I want you to know that what you're doing is the right thing. As long as it takes, keep doing it, keep working on his health and it's going to get better. And that's so wonderful, right? I mean, I'm so glad that you actually had a team of people and you are smart enough to research and keep finding the right person for you and not really just take whatever came, right? Many times we do those kinds of mistakes and I have been guilty of that, honestly speaking. Like when I searched for an OBGYN for me when I was pregnant with my first daughter, I really didn't do any of that. I didn't really think that there could be bad doctors. (laughs) Honestly speaking, I didn't know that that there was a thing. You know, Mm -hmm. I thought any doctor would be a great doctor because I only knew good doctors. Like my father was a good doctor, you know, (laughs) all his friends were good doctors. I didn't know bad doctors. So I didn't even know that was a thing. And so I actually had an uh, OBGYN in Vegas and oh my God, she was terrible. And <laughs> it's it's really interesting how, you know, you actually start to look at those kinds of things, but I'm so glad that you knew enough to be able to know what you want and go after it because not many people do that. They actually just stay with the pediatrician if they, even if they are not happy, even if the pediatrician actually does not actually understand what they want out, right, out of this whole thing. Like, for example, most people obviously want their children to be healthier, right? If they actually keep getting recurrent infections, they don't want their child to have reoccurring infections. But then the pediatrician doesn't really have a solution for that. All they do is they keep giving them medication after medication, mm-hmm. antibiotics after antibiotics every single time, and there is no solution. And But most parents don't think that there is another way. What they do is they just stick with it because they don't know what else to do. They don't even think there is another way. But you didn't actually do that. And that is where the first aspect of your power comes from. 
And now I remember what led me to you and how it all kind of started. My son was, he was having really bad asthma attacks and he was wheezing. And I kept having to go to the ER because he was turning blue, his ribs were coming in and he wasn't getting oxygen and they kept prescribing nebulizer, nebulizer, the albuterol. Mm-hmm. And we kept having to do these albuterol treatments. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, I think in the course of his that time, his short little life, he must have only been two or three years old. We must have ran to the ER like four to six times because they're like, if it's ever this bad, you have to come here and they're giving stronger medication. Mm-hmm. I remember looking up albuterol and saying like, what, you know, what is this? What does it do? And I remember learning that albuterol actually stops the production of mucus. And so you become more dependent on it. Although the doctors say you don't, you do. And I went and saw you. And the first thing you had me do was take him off dairy. And uh, we took him off dairy. And I can tell you that he's never had an asthma attack again. There was some allergies that caused kind of weeding, but wheezing, but you gave us natural ways to help that. And it's not an issue anymore. You gave us saline and the silver and and one of the amazing things about that is, and I've said this to you about Andrew many, many times before, is that how his adrenals, his adrenals, his adrenals. And one of the things that I also want to mention here that would be good to understand for most of our listeners is that adrenal issues typically contribute to asthma. So when a child has ADHD or food allergies, what it eventually does is the adrenals actually become exhausted And that actually produces a certain chemical in our body that keeps our pathways, our respiratory pathways open. And when that isn't produced, it's exhausted, then the airway kind of goes into spasms easily. And that contributes to wheezing. So most often when I treat patients with asthma, I treat their adrenals. I don't really treat their lungs at all. I don't treat their airway. I actually treat the adrenals. And when I treat the adrenals, the asthma goes away every single time. And I've treated so many patients with asthma that I can tell you that that is the way to treat it. Not with, And even nebulizers, albutrol and all of that, what it does is it exactly does what your adrenals does. Your adrenals produces a hormone that is similar to albutrol. So albutrol opens up the pathways and that's exactly what your body is capable of doing when it's functioning optimally. And that's what we had been doing for him as well, because his adrenals were not working effectively, which was also the reason why so many kids sometimes actually are, you know, jumping off the walls because their adrenals are actually exhausted, but their body is trying to actually make up for it by just jumping and moving constantly and being hyperactive and having behavioral issues. Another thing that I want to mention here is that kids do not do any of these things intentionally. And this is an extremely important lesson that I want to get out there because so many times parents think that the child is just being stubborn, just being difficult, just giving them a hard time, just not listening properly and so on and so forth. We as adults, so many times we can actually kind of control our impulses and all of that. And we kind of control, you know, what we can say, what we don't say, all of those things. We learn to do those things. But children are extremely chemically oriented beings, if you will. So they have these chemicals in their body or the lack of it, they're just going to keep reacting to those kinds of things without their forebrain developed fully. So they're not rationalizing any of these things. It's not, oh, you know, I want to do this to my mom just so I can actually annoy her, right? It is just, okay, I have these chemicals. What do I do for these chemicals? This is how I react. And so that was the biggest thing that Andrew was dealing with, poor thing. And, you know, when we don't understand that so many children are put on 
Ritalin and you know, Adderall and all of these drugs, which actually kind of, it helps some kids. I'm not saying it doesn't, but it also actually makes it worse for some kids. It really makes it really, really worse for some kids. They become zombies. They actually become, you know, even sometimes suicidal and aggressive and all kinds of things that comes out of it. And it's so sad. So coming to this, so what was the process like for you and for your family, like the journey of it and how has it been for yourself? Yeah, well, through you, we made many changes. I've heard on your podcast, you know, getting that initial kind of diet change is very hard. When you take your family's diet as you know it, and you take everything out and you feel like there's nothing left, but there really is everything left. So that was really hard. It started as we just adjusted the food for kind of my son. He was off dairy, gluten, egg, oat, soy, corn, fish. At the time, it felt like everything. Once we kind of got adjusted and he was doing well, it just, I think we gained more knowledge. I think maybe I started taking some courses through you, maybe reading books that you recommended and our family kind of made the whole change too and took a lot of those things out. And I would say, I don't know, through all the things I learned, like there's just been so much inspiration through you really to live a better lifestyle my husband and I always talk about, you know, we both kind of grew up very poor and my husband's goal is to pass down wealth to our children. Mm-hmm. And I say my goal is to pass down health to my children. Oh, that's wonderful. So I want them to know how to take care of themselves and learn things from a young age that I never knew. You know, I ate Jack in the Box. I want my kids to know that they need like food that's come up from the ground and isn't full of chemicals or made in a plant. And honestly, I feel like our lives have changed a lot. And what happened to his behaviors? I know he was having a lot of issues yeah. school and all of those things. So with all of the changes that you had made, I know it was difficult with the food, obviously, because especially because if you think about it, if we are actually feeding them all the foods that they are reacting to, and we wonder why they actually behave the way they behave, it's because they are eating mostly the foods that they're reacting to, right? <laughs> and so, which means that if you take out all of those things, obviously it feels like, what can I feed my child? Yes. But then we actually learned that, oh, wow, there's so many other aspects of food that I never yeah. even thought about. You know, there's like whole groups of foods that I never even thought about before. And now I'm actually going to introduce all of those new foods into their diet. And uh, how just doing those kinds of things from having a lot of issues at school, being, you know, distracted or, you know, being impulsive and all of those things, doing the things that we did, how did that help Andrew? Like, you know, even with whether he was making friends or not, you know, how he was in school versus how he became later. Yeah. So obviously there was a lot of hyperactivity there. His behavior is, I always kind of described it to you is he is kind of like a roller coaster. There were highs and lows and goods and bads. And when we would get into like a bad, it would last, it would last weeks. And all of those things, you know, were all accompanied by different things like rashes and hives and physical things. But it was interesting how you'd see those physical things. And then you would notice that hyperactivity is back and he's struggling in school. You mentioned the word aggressive. And we did have a lot of things like that, that made my husband and I stop and question and say, is there something truly wrong with our child? Like we think that he might have violent tendencies and that's scary as a parent. Why are you asking me that, you know, is something really wrong with my child? Can he actually be normal at any point in time? You know, will he be accepted in school? Like will they kick him out of school if he's actually, you know, displaying these kinds of tendencies? And I remember and how hard it is for a parent to be in that position when you feel like 
you can't really do anything about it first, right? But there is so much that we can do. And that's what we're talking about. And I remember also this, how every time you'll actually have maybe an accident by which he actually eats something, maybe at school or something. Within a few days, the most important signs and symptoms that you will, you started noticing was yeah. that hyperactivity would be back. He will actually start having issues listening. He would actually have issues going to sleep and he would have issues, you know, calming down and he would actually even have aggression, you know, at some point or another, you know, even hitting his sister and things like that. And that's how quickly it was. A lot of people, though, when they are actually eating these kinds of foods on a regular basis, that becomes their norm. But there's no way to even know if this food is affecting you or not, or affecting them or not, right? They just, that's their normal. They just think the kid is actually behaving poorly and the kid is bad. And that's it. And I've actually seen it so many times. It breaks my heart to see that because I've seen children with ADHD come through in this office and the parent is actually telling me that the child is just bad. He's just doing this intentionally to us. And he's a devil. And I'm like, oh my God, this is horrible to actually hear because the kid isn't. The kid is actually having so low self-esteem because of all the things that the parents are saying. And he's trying his hardest to keep his impulsiveness you know, under control. He's trying to sit down, but he's not able to. And I've actually had conversations with parents and believe me why I say that you're inspiring is because not every parent will actually take it in the right sense. I've actually lost so many parents when I've said these kinds of things to them. I've lost so many patients because of that and that's okay. I'm gonna to have to speak the truth no matter what. But you actually took it in and said, okay, what can I change? What can I do? How can I bring a different kind of parenting style or how can I actually look at him? How can I approach him? How can I feed him? Yeah, you did kind of change my mindset. I never thought I had a horrible child. I thought that he did some things that I didn't want him to do and there was problems listening, but I feel like you really helped to change that. You know, you have to support your child no matter what, and he doesn't want to be this way. And I remember at school one time that he was getting in trouble because he didn't want to sit down and eat. And he had so much nervous energy, he couldn't take the time to sit down. And this must have been in, maybe it was first grade, maybe second. And I remember the teacher uh, telling him, you have to sit down and eat. And I called the teacher and it was the first time I really, you know, I was proud of myself for saying, listen, like if my child, you know, has a lot of energy and needs to stand up and it's not disrupting anybody else, why do you care? You know, he's on the playground, he's eating lunch. And it made me support my child because at the end of the day, I want my child to look back and always know that I was the one there for him and I had his back. And no matter what decision or what behavior, good or bad, like, I love you and I'm here and I will support you, even in your bad decisions. Yes. And that's wonderful, right? And the thing is that many a times, even at schools, there are so many rules that don't make any sense. So many rules, dumb rules. And it's not like, oh my God, these rules actually somehow make education better, learning better. Then my, no, there are some rules I understand that, you know, you want it to be a little conducive, but also we are not really raising robots either here. Okay, they're not going to look alike. They're not going to be alike. They're not going to behave alike. They're going to have different things. We are raising children here and we want our future leaders to be coming out of this, right? We want our future scientists to come out of this. We want our future inventors to come out of this. So if these are the people that are going to come out of there, how can they actually all be alike? And how can they all be just compliant 100% of the time and obedient? Leaders are not obedient, right? So and I have said that to you. I remember as well that yeah. and <laughs> the leader and you have to recognize that he is not going to be obedient all the time. And these are all aspects of 
not ADHD, but our children, but in today's world, so many concepts, especially when a child has some difficulty, unfortunately, they actually start putting everything under the same thing, under the same label. And then we actually think, oh, this child is just problematic in every way. Yeah. I was just going to say what you said is so true because when we're, we're telling our kids that why are you bad? And why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. I felt like my son was hearing a lot of that all the way around from different people. And he'd go to bed at night and his brain would be hyperactive and he couldn't shut it off. And he would replay his day and he would say, mom, why am I bad? Why do I do these things? Mm-hmm. And I realized that these things that people were saying, myself included, you know, all the way around were affecting who he was as a person. And I feel along with your medical care, you have a lot of wisdom on how to help people be better parents and everything goes hand in hand. It's all connected. I appreciate you sharing that. And that's true though. The thing is that, I mean, most times if you actually look at it, we don't really have to help the children. We really have to help the parents. Honestly speaking, that's how I look at it. No matter what it is, whether it is a diet, whether it is the way we look at our children, the way that we, because kids are just like clay in many ways. They just mold the way you know, we mold them at least in the beginning. Okay. And then they actually develop their own personality, but we have so much more power than we realize, which means that we need to use our power more wisely. And then one of the other things that I also want to mention about here is that with the food allergies and all of those things that he has had as well, that we were able to actually, like, for example, you know, when you do introduce it back again, or when he eats it by accident, now what happens to him? It depends. But I think what happens mostly is both him and I are able to quickly identify if something is out of place. And mm-hmm. so eat something and it'll be like, mom, there's a small rash on my leg. It's like, all right, we got to, you know, I know Dr. Sheridan's going to be like, we got to get back to work on the gut. Yes. We've got to take care of it because something needs to come out. It's not a one and done. It's not all corrected. Everything I think is a work in progress. It's just knowing how to handle it, manage it, and hopefully get to a better place than where we started at the end of it. And also, I know that he also had issues with some dizziness and issues with his inner ear or middle ear. I can't remember now. I know that at that point in time, you also went to somebody else because that's something that's more structural and that was helped by somebody. So I wanted, I want you to share that with our listeners because then they'll know that, oh, there's another aspect to this that can be helped. Yeah, that was a really terrible thing that happened, but I was so happy where we are now. One night my son went to bed and I was laying down and I was tucking him in mm-hmm. and he said, mom, he says, he starts holding his ears. He says, please tell daddy to stop yelling. Tell mm-hmm. daddy to stop yelling. He's yelling. Mm-hmm. And I listen and I'm like, I, there's no noise. I don't hear anything. Mm-hmm. And he's, he starts crying and he's rocking and he's holding his ears and he's like, somebody is screaming in my ears. And he is just pouring tears. It is nothing worse than seeing your child in pain. And it's something that you don't know what it is and you don't know how to help it. And so we were up, you know, all of that night and we had a few different nights like that. And it was accompanied by, you know, dizziness that prevented him from going to school and doing sports, terrible vertigo where he couldn't, he said he always felt like he was walking sideways Mm -hmm. and he wasn't, you know, walking straight and it affected I mean, everything. I had to pick him up from school many days early when he wanted to be there, wanted to learn, wanted to be with his friends. But he's like, mom, I can't. His body was weak. He said he felt like his knees were, you know, going to go out from under him. He would tell me he would go to school and he'd be in line for lunch and he'd have to prop himself up on a table. And all of these things were going on. And I remember one night 
night he was having another episode and he came down to my room and he was laying in my bed with me and he was crying. And I told myself, like, I have to find a solution. Like, I cannot let this child go through life like this. And so I did whatever a horrible patient does. And I consult Google, but my Google now is homeopathic, <laughs> homeopathic remedies or natural remedies for like ringing dizziness and all of his symptoms. And I ended up in this spiral in these medical journals. And I came across all of these positive uh, studies from this certain type of chiropractor that was called a NUCCA, uh, National Upper Cervical Chiropractor Association. And then I got the name of this and I researched until I found a doctor in Las Vegas and I found two and I called one and I got him in and now he's going twice a week. And after about two to three weeks of chiropractic care, we don't have any issues. Yeah. It's gone. He is living life. He is going to hockey. He is going to school. And I feel like now I want to give my kids wealth. Now my child's going to know maybe way beyond I'm the time that I'm gone and he's going to experience these things and he's going to know this is what I need to do to take care of myself. Yes. I hope. Yes. And of course you will, because the thing is that you're what you're sharing with him, talking to him, telling him, right? I mean, one of the ways that I actually know a lot of things from even when I was young was because my father would actually tell me whenever I was sick or something, I would actually ask, oh, I have this. And he would say, okay, go take this remedy. Okay. And that is the way I actually learned how yes. what to do what, you know, without <laughs> knowing anything about it. I didn't know anatomy. I didn't know physiology at that point and before I went to school, but I just knew the remedies for each of the conditions. Yeah. And then after he has said that like five times, the sixth time I'm like, I'll tell it. And he'll be like, let me guess this remedy, isn't it? <laughs> and yeah. I'll go get it myself. So that's actually a way to kind of educate our children as well to know what to do as much as because Tylenol and, you know, ibuprofen and all of those things, everybody knows. Why don't we know any of these things, even though they work as effectively, if not more effectively and safely and doesn't contribute to more problems, but actually create such a well-being in us. We need to actually pass this on. So not only that, maybe, you know, if you will give me the liberty to add one more thing is that, you know, not only just health, you want to pass on empowerment, being able to take care of themselves. That would be, and wisdom is what we want to pass on to our children as well. Because I really don't believe in you know, passing, you know, as much for me wealth, but for me passing these things is so much more important to me. And of course, each person is different and everything is okay. And now I know that there was another experience that you shared with me, you know, before we started that I kind of want to bring. And here is how this whole process has actually made you become your family's doctor. Yeah, well, I think it was, I think it was a lot of classes with Dr. Sheridan, all of those things she put out, I signed up for. <laughs> um, yes, and, I think that, and you are a great student still. But the thing is that, you know, I feel like, you helped me have that empowerment. I tell you what went on and what I did and whether I do something, you know, right or wrong, you are always such the cheerleader of that's great. Like you try to do it. And I think over time, you just kind of, you figure it out. I think one of the, the best stories is I remember a long time ago, my child had a fever and I was scared. And I remember you telling me about your daughter having a fever of, it was very high. I don't know if it was 106, 106. or 107 106. or yeah. up there. Mm -hmm. And fast forward, we were on vacation in Hawaii over spring break and my daughter caught something and, you know, she started off with this fever at 102 and 
by, you know, about 1 a.m., her fever had jumped to 106 and we had been giving her remedies for it to come down and it, it was so high and we we're trying to do all of these things. But the thing was, she was talking okay, she was acting okay, her fever was high. She didn't have all those things they tell you to watch out for on high fevers. And your story empowered me to do the right thing and keep treating her the way that I, I knew she'd be treated so she could burn it off and get back to our vacation sooner rather than later. And it was very scary. I, I won't lie. I pretended I was very confident inside. I did have a little bit of fear. And my husband is like, take her to the ER. And I'm like, I'm not taking her to the ER unless I know what's wrong. We made it through. A lot of courage. And I really appreciate how you handle that. Yes, it is not easy. I'm not saying any of this is like, oh my God, you know, you're going to always be super confident about it, especially if we don't necessarily have that experience prior, right? And we've been told, we have been taught so many times that fever is horrible, fever is dangerous, you know, immediately give Tylenol, immediately give ibuprofen and so on and so forth. It's very hard to actually have that kind of confidence and say, I'm just going to wait the fever out. I'm going to give remedies. It'll actually only bring it down a little bit. It's not going to bring it down all the way, but I'm okay with it because the fever is actually going to eat the infection. And that really is the case. Fever is a good thing. And most people don't know this fever. They think fever is a bad thing. And I'll give even another little story here is one of my cousins, she actually had her daughter, she developed chickenpox, and this is in UK. So her daughter developed chickenpox. And when she developed chickenpox, she, even though she knows better, she actually started giving her Tylenol. Okay, because she was like, oh, God, she has fever, I just want her to be comfortable and all of those things. At Tylenol, it's actually kind of prolonged the illness and it was going on for longer than it needed to. And then the fever wasn't coming down. It was coming down, but then it'll go up again. And she had to keep repeating the medication and still wasn't going anywhere. So after I think doing it for three days or so, she texted me and said, hey, this is happening. What do I do? I said, stop giving her Tylenol, giving, give her aconite and bryonia and, you know, let the fever eat the infection. You know, that's what it is. Her body is fighting and you're stopping it from fighting. You're prolonging the illness. And it's amazing. The next day, everything started actually improving. <laughs> Her symptoms yeah. started improving. And this is just always the case. Again, you know, I don't say any of these things lightly. I've done this for 19 years and I was raised this way. So naturally, you know, we don't say this with, you know, no regard for health or no understanding of what is happening or saying, oh my God, everybody can just, you know, have 106 fever and be okay with it. But know what action you need to take. Don't actually be careless about it. You know, be concerned, be caring. Definitely do something about it. Take action, but don't be afraid. Don't think that, you know, just reducing the fever is going to help your child. That is not. So I, I love that story. And that's why I wanted you to share that because when I do it, it seems like, you know, because I know what I'm doing. But when you do it, this is a story that you're going to remember for the rest of your life. The next time your daughter has a fever, right? You know, you, you're just going to actually handle it like a Viking. You're just not going to even think about it anymore, right? It's not a big like deal. A Viking. Right. If it's 104, you're like, ah, yeah, okay. <laughs> you know, we, we've done worse. That's, we're going to be okay. Exactly. Right. So that's what a gladiator is all about. And so, and that's what I love about the whole thing that we do here as well is to actually educate and empower people, you know, so that they can actually become the gladiators. They can actually become the shining stars of their own family and they can take control of their family's health to a large extent. So, the need for me becomes less and less and less.
And it's a really good feeling knowing that you can take care of your family without needing to run to somebody for advice. Yes. When something happens, I know what to do. I know how to treat my family. I don't need a second opinion unless it's something new and totally out there, which we've had some of those too. Yes. But, you know, it's... Yes. Of course, there are going to be things like, you know, it's not going to be that we can actually do everything, but if we can do a lot of things that happens day to day, then we can actually feel much more stronger, have more power and courage within us to be able to do things. And then we pass that on to our children as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, you keep hearing these stories and this is why I'm doing this podcast. So for everybody who's listening, I want you to understand no matter what you're dealing with, it doesn't matter what your condition is. I am 100% sure there is someone out there who understands that and who can help you, who can help you heal, not just to put a Band-Aid on it, but really, truly heal and not really just a medication that will actually keep the problem maybe under control, but not really something that will actually get you from one place to another, you know, to completely heal where the body is capable of doing that. We just need to find the right people. And another thing that I also want to mention here is how she was talking about the Nuka chiropractor. And that's important as well, because sometimes we need a community. We need different kinds of doctors like acupuncturists, chiropractors, you know, homeopaths, naturopaths, different kinds of doctors who can actually still treat the body as a whole and not just actually look at it as a puzzle piece and trying to figure out the whole from that one puzzle piece. We need really everybody who looks at it as a whole, even dentists, holistic dentists, you know, they are extremely important as well, extremely powerful. And our teeth can actually affect our health in a detrimental way. So it's very important to have all of these different kinds of people in your tribe, in your community, so that you know who to reach out to whenever you have something going on and you know, and you have the confidence to be able to go to them and know that you are in good hands, that they are never, ever going to do anything that is going to be detrimental for you, but for the well-being of you. So that's all I have for today. I really appreciate uh, you joining me, Tiffany, and sharing your experience and sharing the story of Andrew's issues with ADHD and how he's doing amazing today in his school and making friends and being joyful. And that's just such a good feeling for you and for me, because that's what we actually want to leave at the end of the day, right? So I appreciate you joining me. Thank you so much. And uh, for all of our listeners, Thank you for listening. I appreciate you spending this time with me. I know you have places to go and things to do. You know, if you learned something today, if you understood something new today, please do leave us your comments as well as share it with anybody that might actually help get help from this whole podcast. Thank you so much. And I'll see you in two weeks.